You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Please open God's holy word to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, John 6, I'll be reading verses 22 through 59. Our focus today will be on verses 22 through 40. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And, all, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, 
and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father, not, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who come who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, have mercy on every one of us who have put a false show of seeking you to fulfill our own sinful desires. Have mercy on every sinner here that they think they are earnestly seeking you. They think they are zealous to do the works of God. And it's all a sham. Give Give eyes to see. Both saint and sinner alike here. We still do this even even after coming to know your saving grace. Give us all eyes to see whenever we are presumptuously seeking after your son, really seeking something for our own idolatrous lust. Bless your word now to pierce and expose. Send your spirit to convict and guide and grant true faith that clings to Christ and Christ alone for the sake of Christ, for His glory, partaking of Him and truly having eternal life. Grant grace now, Father. We cry out to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In chapter 6, we see a crowd that goes from Eating miraculous bread, verses 1 through 15, to asking for the wrong kind of bread, verses 22 through 40, our text this morning, to grumbling about the right bread, verses 41 through 66. So they go from eating miraculous bread to asking for the wrong bread, to grumbling about the right bread. And all this speaks to how close one can get to the bread of life 
only to eternally hunger in hell. You can graciously receive miraculous bread from the very hands of Christ, blessing it and breaking it. And then follow Him, earnestly seeking Him to then grumble and reject and never know Him. The natural appetite of sinful man does hunger. Even as the image of God is marred and broken in us, we were made for God, as Augustine says, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. The sinful appetite of man does hunger, but it hungers wrongly. Even that appetite for God that is intrinsic to our personhood is broken and twisted. It hungers wrongly. So while this crowd goes from eating miraculous bread to asking for the wrong bread to grumbling about the right bread, it's critical that you see this is not a progression of sin. That was likely involved. There's a growing hardness. I have no doubt about that. But it's not, it's not as if their sin got there. This is not about a development of sin. It's a manifestation of sin. Something that was wrong from the very beginning. That their craving was wrong, we got indications of in verse 2. Large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They're following him. And that sounds like the disciples in chapter 1. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. Following Jesus. Sounds like discipleship. But you remember they followed. At least Andrew did. We were told because they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed. But we're told that they followed because they saw. And that sounds like the Jews that Jesus Refused in chapter 2, and the Galileans that he rebuked in chapter 4. Chapter 2, 23 through 25. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There's a kind of believing in Jesus that is not believing in Jesus. And Jesus sees through it. Same thing whenever he comes into Galilee after this, chapter 4 and verse 48, he rebukes them saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In between those two episodes, he goes through Samaria, and the Samaritans believe, we're told, because of his word. This crowd is sign-seeking, 
And after not simply seeing a mighty sign, but having eaten and gotten their fill of the very sign itself, they're also king making, verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They rightly see they're in a desolate place, Mark calls it. Mark 6.32, they are in a wilderness. And they see bread. And maybe they even perceive something of how his disciples had them organized into groups of 50s and 100. They are organized like a camp around their king as as Israel was in the wilderness. And I think it's very likely they also see, wait, 12 baskets being gathered up afterwards. And they rightly exclaim, this is indeed the prophet. A reference to Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19, where Moses said that God would give a prophet like him. They see all of this, and they are zealous to take him by force and make him king, but kingship is neither theirs to confer, nor is it Jesus's to lack. They act exactly like Satan does in the wilderness. They are offering Jesus a crown without a cross, but in exchange, they want a king on a string. Here is the major failure of their sinful appetite as it's coming to the bread of life. They want Jesus For bread, they do not want Jesus as bread. They want Jesus to break bodies. They do not want Jesus' broken body. Make Him king. Deal with the Romans. They do not want a Jesus who will be crucified by the Romans for their sins. Jesus didn't indulge their sinful appetite on one side of the sea, and the change of setting, the change of time, has not altered what He puts on the menu. This is more of an issue than simply timing and setting. As if later on it'd be okay to come and make Jesus king. Their appetite is fundamentally wrong. We'll get to that in a second, but let's see how we, we, that becomes apparent. They wake up, and they note there had only been one boat. They really know this because they'd followed on foot as Jesus was with His disciples on boat to get to a solitary place, and gets there, and there they are. They'd followed Him. But after having fed them, the Synoptic Gospels make it more plain. Jesus dismisses the crowd. He sends his disciples away and he withdraws to a solitary place. So they note all of this now. The disciples left. Jesus withdrew. Other boats were told from Tiberias had come to this place. Very likely they are there because of the same storm that had impacted the disciples. So taking passage on these boats, they... They go to Capernaum. Why are they going to Capernaum? Because they're still 
hungry. They're seeking Jesus, but they're seeking Jesus in the same way that they followed Jesus. There's a kind of seeking of Jesus that is a non-seeking. They went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. There's a kind of seeking Jesus that is seeking after an idol. Seeking after a goat. It's chasing a figment, a nothing. Many people zealously search for Jesus and they never find Him because the Jesus they're looking for doesn't exist. Some people think they find that Jesus and they're delusional. He is a conjuring up of their own imagination. He is not the Christ who took on flesh. But why do they go to Capernaum seeking Jesus? Why do they believe He'd be there? Perhaps they heard Jesus giving instructions to the disciples, but I think the more likely answer is something that is hinted at in chapter 2 and verse 12. After this, uh, this being His turning the water into wine, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And the implications of what's involved in his taking his family and staying there for those few days as he continues his ministry, what's involved is clarified in Matthew 4.13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. So, they... I don't think Jesus will automatically be there. He's left, withdrawn to a desolate place. His disciples have gone away on boat. Let's go to Capernaum. That's where Jesus eventually ends up. That helps you explain why whenever they find Jesus there, before them, they're surprised. Verse 25, When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They thought they would be early, and they've arrived late. So they ask, when? It would have been much better if they had asked, how did you get here? But that's information that only the disciples are privy to, which is impactful whenever we come to the end of this passage and see their response versus the crowd's. Before we rush on to Jesus' answer, let's get more precise about where here is. It's Capernaum, yes, but it's not until near the end of this exchange that we read, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as He taught at Capernaum. Now, some speculate that a transition takes place somewhere in these interactions. That's plausible. It's not necessary. Even if there is a transition from one place to the synagogue at some point in these interactions, what's striking is we know that in the crowd that Jesus is addressing now, that there are natives to Capernaum present. There are very likely some of these men from Tiberias present. But this whole exchange is set up exclusively in reference to those who ate. 
He's speaking to them specifically in all of this. It's clear with his reply, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. With this, Jesus cuts through all the small talk, all the niceties, cuts straight to their heart and exposes and opens it. But whereas John told us, verse 2 again, that they were seeking Him because they saw the signs, Jesus now tells them, you are seeking Me not because you saw the signs. Which is it? They want to see signs because they're not seeing the signs. They see signs and they get something, but they're not getting the full import of what's being signified by these signs. They want miracles without a message. They're not getting the message. That's why they're seeking miracles. They're just like the dog that whenever you point, they don't look at where you're pointing. They just look at your finger. They don't care what the gesture means. They just want to know if there's something in your hand. And so it is with Jesus. These signs signify, they point. They don't care where it's pointing. They just want to know what's in Jesus' hands. They've exclaimed, this is indeed the prophet. They get something of what's being signified by the sign, but they don't get the full import of it, as will be made plain. It's as though they're cruising along with their own desires. They have somewhere they want to go, and they see a sign, and they get excited. Because that sign means where I want to go, it's up ahead. But they miss the exit because that exit is nothing of what they really want and desire. And so they're looking for more signs to point them to what they want. Missing what the signs are telling them to exit off onto all along the way. They are seeking Jesus for bread. They do not want Jesus as bread. And so Jesus calls for them to work, not for the food that perishes. All of their seeking of Jesus is a looking for food that perishes. Many seek Jesus in this way. They want Him for health. They want just some relief from their conscience. They just want to feel better about their sins. They just want a better marriage or or something. They're looking for something from Jesus rather than desiring Jesus Himself. And Jesus says, don't labor for food that perishes, but for that that endures to eternal life. This kind of seeking, this kind of working, are not meritorious. Jesus makes that plain, verse 27. He's calling for them to labor. He's calling for them to seek. But what they are after is something that He gives. This food is something that the Son of Man gives. This kind of working, this kind of seeking, is the same kind of buying that Isaiah speaks of. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. They have crossed the sea for bread, but they're seeking the wrong kind of bread. And Jesus is freely offering to them the food that they need. And behind his offer is the Father's seal. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you for on him... The Father has set His seal. Jesus is the only authorized distributor of this food that endures to eternal life. You can get it nowhere else. He and He alone. Sinner, Jesus knows why you have come. He knows why you're here this morning. He knows why you sing. He knows why you read your Bible. He knows why you do your good. He knows why you make a show of religious zeal. He knows why you sing and lift your hands. He knows why you speak freely of Jesus in one context and not another. He knows. He sees through all the hypocrisy. He sees through the veneer of faux godliness. He sees and knows why you seek Him. And while man may remain sign blind, know that the Son of Man is not soul blind. He sees. He knows. So ask yourself, Oh God, grant your Spirit to truly Know myself. Ask yourself, am I seeking Jesus for bread? Or am I seeking Jesus as bread? Do you desire Him to be some king on a string? Or do you bow to Him as Lord? With absolute sovereign authority over your life. Do you want the Jesus of your imagination? Or do you want the Jesus who is beyond your imagination? Quit chasing the idolatrous ghost of your own imagination and bow to the Word who took on flesh, who is truly God and truly man, who gave His life to make atonement for sins. Come to Him not seeking something outside of Him. Come to Him longing and seeking and wanting Him and reconciliation to God in Him. And in Him, yes, having everything, but having everything for the sake of Him and knowing Him. Do not respond as this crowd does. Their next question betrays their persistent spiritual blindness. Verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus has been talking about Himself, and they direct attention back to themselves. Jesus spoke of what He would give, and they ask what they must do. Jesus said, labor, and all they hear is work. 
And they're thinking about attaining rather than receiving. What works must we do? They not only now want the wrong bread, they want it wrongly, but now they also want to get it in the wrong way. Paul impacts something of this kind of spiritual blindness when he tells the Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So Jesus turns the question in verse 29 from, note, the works of God, verse 28 to, verse 29, the work of God. I think more is involved here than just saying, you want to know what kind of works you must do. Works of God. Works that please God. Works, plural. And you need to be concerned about the work of God, faith. I think more is involved than this. I think Jesus is also saying, Not just works that you do that please God in contrast to the work you must do. But also the work God does. The work of God in man. Faith is something man must do. And it is also the doing of God in man. Faith is something you must do. And it's also, if you do it, the doing of God in you. This language recalls Jesus' language concerning His work and His Father's work in chapter 5. His Father's working and Jesus does whatever He sees the Father doing. You want to do the work of God? In an analogous way to what Jesus said concerning he and his father, you want to do the work of God. When you believe, you're doing the work of God in you. Not that God is believing, but God is working to bring about belief in man. And when you do that, you're doing the work of God. Faith is the doing, is a doing we must do. Whenever the Philippian jailer pled with Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't reply, Do? You must do nothing. He told them, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The doing you must do is to look in faith to Christ who has done all for the salvation of sinners. He lived to be their righteousness. He died to bear judgment for their sins. Believe on Him and you will be saved. This is the doing you must do. And this is not a meritorious work. It's not something that uh, earns any kind of credit. It's not as if faith is counted as righteousness in substitute. Meriting before God a righteous standing. 
Saving faith is not an act of achieving. Saving faith is an act of receiving. Saving faith comes and grasps Christ. It receives Christ as having done all in our place. Believing is receiving. That's, that's plain as you go through this passage, but John makes it plain from the very inception of this gospel when he tells us in chapter 1 and verse 12, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Receiving, believing, same thing. You may be seeking, and your seeking is a manifestation of believing. But it's critical that you understand whether or not your believing is a believing of the Jesus you've conjured up or the Jesus who came down. And a telltale sign that you are seeking a Jesus of your own conjuring is if your preoccupation is with what you must do to get salvation rather than what He has done to give salvation. If the bread of life is before you and He's telling you of what He'll give and your concern is what you must do, you've missed the point. Wrong Jesus. Having made this claim of extending such a gift to them and calling for faith in Him as the way of receiving that gift, They then ask for another sign, verse 30. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Haven't they already seen a sign? They've eaten of a sign. And here they are asking for a sign. They ask for another sign because they do not again see what the signs signify. And thus they're asking for a sign to signify what they believe, what they want to believe. Jesus has made a claim that establishes him as greater than Moses. He's going to give food that endures to eternal life. So what work will he do? Feeding 5,000, that's impressive. But you're making a claim greater than Moses. Moses fed a larger crowd in the wilderness day after day. So what sign will you do? And the sign that they're demanding is right in front of them. God incarnate, the bread of life right before them, and there they are demanding a sign. And whenever this crowd says, He gave them bread from heaven, verse 31, the He there refers to God. He gave them bread from heaven. It's pretty clear that they're quoting from Scripture. Most likely, they're thinking of Psalm 78, 23 through 24. So they understand God did this, but there's an assumption that they make that Jesus exposes that Moses was the mediator, the instrument of that bread that fell from heaven. No, it was simply directly God. He just told Moses what he was going to do. So Jesus makes plain to them what the Scripture says. It was not Moses, verse 32, But it was Jesus' Father. Notice He doesn't say our Father. He doesn't even say your Father. He says my Father. 
It was my Father who gave Israel bread from heaven. And it's the Father who gives them the true bread from heaven. They're looking for another prophet to give manna instead of the prophet who is the manna given. Jesus is the bread of God. He's given by the Father. He's come down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the life Light of men, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Father gave manna to Israel in the wilderness. And that was a sign, a portent, an anticipation of a greater giving to come. And that greater giving has come. The bread from heaven, everything anticipated there, has come down and is right before them and is offering Himself. And they reply, Sir, give us this bread always. The indications... They're still asking wrongly, or at least two. First, they asked Jesus to give them this bread whenever He's been telling them He is the bread given and calling for them to come to Him, to believe on Him. They're still thinking wrongly about this bread. And and what they're... I think it's plain. You read this passage again and again, and you hear them say, Sir, give us this bread always... What they're still asking for is, show us a sign. You say you can give this bread? Give it. And another indication that they're thinking wrongly here is he's been telling them that this is a bread that endures for eternal life. And they ask, give us this bread always. The same way that manna was given every day in the wilderness. You're saying you give us a bread that endures to eternal life? Give it to us always. Like the woman at the well, they're missing the point. Jesus told her that He would give her water that would become like a well welling up to eternal life. You drink of it, it's inside of you. You need drink no more. And she replied, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's still thinking in the wrong way about the water Jesus is offering. But unlike the woman at the well, as Jesus continues to unfold what this bread is, they grow harder where she grew softer. Now it's precisely in these two areas that Jesus presses in His reply. Concerning Him being the bread and concerning the always needing this bread that they're perceiving versus if you eat this bread, you never. Always versus never. This is where Jesus presses into. 
Partaking of this bread means coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus means believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus means never hungering. They will not hunger. They will never thirst. Give us this bread always. And Jesus says, if you come, if you believe, you never hunger. You never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. He tells them, I am the bread of life. He is Yahweh, I am, who provided the bread for them in the wilderness, having now come down as bread for them. Not as a bread that they must eat again and again and again, but a bread of which if they eat of it, it will endure to eternal life. Sinner, Jesus is the bread of life. He's not a bread of life. He is the bread of life. There's no substitute. You cannot supplement your spiritual diet even with a Jesus of your own conjuring. You must come to the true Jesus and He alone. He is the bread of life. You can find life No other way than partaking of Christ. There are no spiritual supplements that you can substitute. He's exclusively the bread of life. Eat and you will live. Believe and you will never hunger. Refuse Him and you will continue dying to die eternally. All you need, every essential nutrient is found in Him and Him alone. If you need cleansing from your sin, His blood alone can wash it away. You need the wrath of God that's on you for your sins to be quenched. He has borne judgment for sinners. You need a righteousness with which to stand before the holy God of heaven. He will give you His own righteousness, clothe you in it. John Calvin put it this way. We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation, we are taught that the very name of Jesus, that is, it is of Him. We are taught by the very name of Jesus that it is of Him. If we seek Other gifts of the Spirit, they will be found in His anointing. If we seek strength, it lies in His dominion. If purity, in His conception. If gentleness, it appears in His birth. For by His birth, He was made like us in all respects, that He might learn to feel our pain. If we seek redemption, it lies in His passion. If acquittal, in His condemnation. If remission of the curse, in His cross. If satisfaction, His condemnation. His satisfaction in His sacrifice, if purification in His blood, if reconciliation in His descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in His tomb, if newness of life in His resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of all blessings in His, king, in his kingdom, if untroubled expectation of judgment in the power given to Him to judge. In short, since rich store of Every kind of good abounds in Him. Let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. Come to Christ and never hunger again. Drink of Him and never thirst. Do not be like this crowd who, verse 36, they have seen Him, 
and yet do not believe. Hear like the woman at the well and believe. The remainder of what Jesus says goes on to speak of the neverness that those who come to Him enjoy. And it speaks of how it is, why it is that they come. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The bread, the Father who gave the bread of heaven to men, gave men to the bread of heaven. So while these men don't come, everyone given by the Father to the Son will come. And all those who come to the Son, the Son will never cast out. Everyone who is given will come. And everyone who comes will never be cast out. And oh, that you would see. Now I want to speak to you, saints. I pray you see in this the rock-solid hope of your salvation. The awesome absolute of your redemption. The steadfast certainty that you have in Christ. How can you be certain that you having eaten of Christ, you will never hunger? You're having drunk of the waters of life, you will never thirst. How can you be certain that having done so, you will never be cast out? The grounds of this neverness are... As absolute as the Trinity itself. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me. You need not be afraid that God will stop loving you. Because the Father will never stop loving the Son, and the Son will never stop loving the Father. Whenever you fail, whenever you fall, when you sin, and grief, and sorrow, and guilt, and shame will not release their hold on you. And you fear, am I lost? Even though you cry out and you plead the name of Jesus and you repent from your sins, you hate it. Yet you're tormented. Can He love me? Am I truly His? Even though you're looking to Christ, remember your certainty has absolutely nothing to do with who you are. And it has everything to do with who Christ is. When the accuser will not let your soul rest, say to him as Bunyan did, My righteousness is in heaven. The reason you will never be cast out is not because of how steadfast your will is, 
but because of how steadfast the will of Christ was. How resolute was the Son in doing the Father's will? Recall the garden where He took up that cup and asked if possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet resolved, not my will, but yours be done, as He took up the cup of the Father's wrath against sins and drank it down to the bitter dregs. The son does not deviate from doing his father's will. And this is the father's will. This is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. That everyone who looks on the son and believes should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. On the eve of his arrest, Jesus prayed in this way. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. He's saying, I did your will. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction That the scripture might be fulfilled. That's not Jesus saying there was that one failure. That's Jesus saying everyone given, they've come and I don't lose any. And the one that you might think was given was a son of perdition. He was not given. All of those given come. And all who come receive eternal life. Everyone who believes that He rose on the third day, Jesus says He will raise them on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. God is sovereign over salvation. Every one of those given will come. And man is responsible Man must believe. The doing that man must do is the doing of God in man. Jesus makes this even more plain in the verses ahead. No one can come. You must come. No one can come unless the Father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him on the last day. So God is sovereign Man is responsible, and sinner, know this. You are not responsible to figure out whether or not you are given. You are responsible to come. It's not left to you to find out whether or not you are given. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. This has been revealed. Come. You 
are responsible to come to the bread given. You are responsible to believe in the Son who came down. You are responsible to do the eating and drinking of faith in the crucified and risen Lord. Look on the Son. Look to Him in faith. Trust Him. Look to Him as the bread of life, the bread of God, the bread from heaven, the living bread. Look on Him by faith and partake, believe, and know that everyone who does so has eternal life. Look, believe, come, eat, drink, and you will have eternal life. Come and you will never hunger. Believe and you will never thirst. Jesus is the food that endures to eternal life. This is the work of God that you must do. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Sent for the life of the world. Come to Jesus and he will never lose you. He will never cast you out. Let's pray. Holy Father, I pray that there are souls here now that they've never come, that they sense something, they despair of anything else other than partaking of Christ and they would They would come with empty hands. And they would receive grace, pardon, forgiveness, life eternal, fellowshipping with you, knowing you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's been deluding themselves, They think they're seeking you. They think they've come to you. But it's all been a false Christ of their own imaginings. For false reasons. I pray they despair of their every good deed. And bank wholly on the good of Jesus Christ. Crying out to you with empty hands. Lord save me a sinner. Father, I pray for every one of your children here that having eaten of this, we would realize how foolish it is that having partaken of this bread, that we would seek life and joy and peace and happiness and rest and comfort or any blessing in anything other than Christ. And we would all the more cling to you in faith with gratitude and joy Now asking properly, not to merit our salvation, but because of our salvation, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Because you are due all glory and honor for so great a redemption and the eternal gift that is assuredly ours in Christ. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.